to A Wee Bit of War, a podcast dedicated to telling the stories of Northern Ireland during the Second World War. I'm your host, Scott Edgar, and in this episode, we're joined by Lorna Quinn from County Armagh. Over the last number of years, Lorna has been collecting, collating and editing stories from members of her local community, from people who remember life in Northern Ireland during wartime. Last year, she published the first collection under the title, Yes, We Have No Bananas. It's an excellent read, particularly if you enjoy social history and those real-life stories that we so often feature on Wartime NI. Uh, Laura, welcome to the podcast. Uh, we're delighted to have you join us. Thanks in, very much for your invite. In recent episodes, I have dived into my personal story a few times, telling how I became interested in this particular area of Northern Ireland's history, and I've been into it since I was relatively young. Uh, has it been the same for you? Is this a lifelong passion or how did you come to be intrigued by these tales of the Second World War in Northern Ireland? Well, I was thinking about that. Uh, I was thinking, you know, what did st- what did start it off? Well, remember when a, a small child, young child and an older cousin of my dad's coming to visit and he had uh, been in the RAF during the war. And I remember not wanting to go outside to play, but I remember sitting in the living room on the carpet and listening enthralled as he told his stories of being in the RAF in the Far East. And it was just, they were, they were, they were just mesmerizing tales. And I, I was, I think that, you know, that, that got me interested. And then I remember in P7, uh, my class teacher, Tanpagi Primary School, my class teacher reading, um, the Silver Sword to us as the class novel by Ian Sorelli. The story of three um, Polish children and then another wee boy joins them and it's their journey, uh, well, their journey uh, to survival, really, uh, through the war years. And it was that <coughs> sense of um, children against a bigger enemy. And, uh, the, you know, the father had been arrested by the Gestapo and it was that sense of um, injustice and their bravery that appealed to me. And then I also remember the film Carver Name with Pride, which even when I was we was an oldie, but it was uh, you know, the bravery of of uh, Violette the in the French resistance uh, was just um oh just you know I can't describe it. It it really it just it just really intrigued me that whole um you know, a girl being so brave and a real heroine. And in my uh, introduction there, I mentioned your book uh, that came out last year, uh, Yes, We Have No Bananas, um, in which you, you took kind of a, a, a look at the social history and a look at real life stories from people uh, predominantly in and around County Armagh. Um, what was it that made you want to commit these stories to paper? Uh, how, did, how did the book come about, really? Well, I I began talking to my old primary school teacher um, about what it was like growing up during the war years. And she told me that uh, people came round, officials came round and measured their front door to see if the door was wide enough to take civilian casualties. And I thought, you know, that that's really fascinating because, you know, to get to for for a government to get into down into that detail of um you know measuring people's front door uh for this whole war machine you know to get into progress to um you know to you know to fight the enemy this is the detail that needed to be taken 
And then um, because she grew up in Market Hill, obviously that was close to Gosford. And then you have um, her mother being asked whether she would take evacuees or soldiers' wives. They chose soldiers' wives. And then the story of, uh, you know, a, a strange family coming to live in your, you know, being given over to one room in the house and living in, in that one room. And then I said, oh, I would love to, I would love to hear more. And, you know, she said, why don't you ask my sister-in-law? She was older and she would have more memories. And so it just snowballed, Scott. And because these people, um, you know, the memories are going through the decades and we're not going to have these stories forever. And I thought, you know, I have enough here to write a book as it, as it snowballed, the project snowballed. And uh, I wanted to capture these stories um for posterity they're so precious each one is unique each one is different and the details in them that the people remember over so many years is just it's just it's just fascinating it's a fascinating time for children to be uh, you know to live through and it was to me it was like it was like as if they were living in a you know in a, in a movie scene uh, with all this going on around them um Occasionally, we here at, at Wartime NI uh, receive emails or, or messages with little snippets of information here and there, and, and that sparks a flurry of research. Um, in your in your book, uh, you have some very different stories, uh, and they come from a, a very wide range of people. How did you go about finding these stories or finding the information um, for for these? Well. Scott, they're, they're, they were friends or friends of friends. And, you know, someone told me you should ask such and such a one. Or um, I thought, you know, uh, I bet you that I bet you that person has a good story, you know. And I had to go by their age as well, because um, the people over 90 are obviously going to have, you know, the, the more memories than, you know, a child of four or five. And I, I was fortunate enough also to... Um, to interview a lady who was in her 102nd year at the time. So she was a young adult and she was telling me about going to dances in Gosford. You know, sorry, sorry um, with the, she was telling me about the troops, you know, um, the local troops coming to the dances in Market Hill every week. And as a young girl, you know, she was different dance partners every week. And she was able to, you know, tell me that, um, and I just thought that was, wow, amazing. And of course, we have you on the podcast now because the big news is that volume two of the book is out just in time for Christmas. Um, what what can people expect from the next batch of stories? Well, the next batch of stories, I have broadened my geographical um, range this time, Scott. Uh, yes, I've got a lot of stories from Northern Ireland. I've got a super story from a wee boy who grew up in Derry. So he saw the um, the German submarines, um, you know, come into Lissahalley and, um, you know, at, at, at the end of the war. And I have a story from Fermanagh. I have two stories from south of the border. So that gives us a glimpse of what it was like during the emergency, as they called it, uh, during those war years. 
I have two American stories. So I have two American kids. I see these old people just as kids because, you know, they're telling me they're telling me their story. But, um, you know, it stops at the end of the war. So they're, they're children in my eyes and, and not old people. But um, I've got, um, you know, he remembers the, the wee American boy remembers coming out of the cinema and he said it seemed like the whole world was crying. And uh, that's, um, you know, when obviously when um, Pearl Harbor was attacked and uh, the little girl remembers, you know, she remembers exactly what she was doing when, uh, when you know, when news broke out that uh, America had entered the war. So she was coming home in the bus. And I've got that perspective. And I've also, through a friend of a friend, uh, got the story of a young girl who grew up in Austria under the Nazis. Oh, wow. And I've got her story, so I've I've widened my um, I've widened my geographical net this time. Yep. Um, so just briefly going back to the first book, um, when I was at school, I was I was best friends. I, I went to school in in Portadown and, and grew up near uh, Tandragee, which is where I believe you went to school. Um, and back then, I was best friends with a fella from Hamilton Spawn, and it was a lovely experience for me to see his father's story of American GIs in County Armagh in the first book. Um, that was one of my my favourite moments in there, even though it maybe wasn't the the best of of the stories that were in there, but it just had a, a nice personal touch for me. Um, do you have any favourites yes. um, from from that first book, or maybe one or two that you'd like to share with us? Well. I think that every story is is a real gem, uh, Scott. You know, every story is unique. Um, I mean, one of the one of the Banbridge ones is uh, that uh, James remembers on VA night uh, being kissed by a Belgian soldier in the middle of Banbridge Street. Now he was given a continental kiss, and in those days, like men didn't men just didn't uh, show their emotions at all. Ulster, Ulster men didn't show their emotions, but to be kissed in both cheeks in the middle of Banbridge Street was something, you know, that he remembered all those years, all those years later. And of course, uh, the the meals that, um, the, the food that the Americans give the, the kids when they brought them into Gosford. George McHugh says that he never tasted anything like it in his life since, and he thinks it might have been watered down condensed milk but he doesn't know it was such a beautiful taste uh you know so and then someone else well i think it was sam remembers the um the food being like an artist's palette it was so colorful so obviously uh you know through rationing and all the rest uh this was this was just wonderful for these kids mm -hmm. And yeah, it, it's it's hard for us to yes. imagine what you know what what life was like back then, and, and there was that that kind of mm. lack of color and lack of excitement. Yes. You know, maybe certainly out in those those rural areas. And I've read a lot from the flip side of that. You know, um, mm. le letters home from American GIs who write about how quaint and rural and you know, you know lovely yes. and, and ancient and historic um ireland or, or northern ireland is yes. um but to have that mm. to, to have that reaffirmed then you know the other way around and the stories of the the drama and excitement and color and, yes. and things that, that uh -huh. the troops brought in is just amazing mm. um do you find it particularly interesting that these stories all 
or, or predominantly have uh, like a, a childlike aspect to them or, you know, they're seen through very young, innocent, naive um, perspectives? Yes. Well, several of the of the people mentioned that, uh, I mean, obviously their parents were, were more worried than they were. Uh, and they, you know, they enjoyed the sweets from, from the Americans and they enjoyed, uh, you know, seeing them march up and down uh, Tandrigi Street. They, you know, um, Uncle John lay in a ditch and watched the Belgian troops walk down, march down the road and then be joined by other Belgian troops who, who had been hiding in a ditch. Um, you know, all the all these memories are, it must have been such a, an exciting time that uh, as a backdrop to their normal life, you know, they saw all these things going on and yet, um, you know, it, it, was no, it was normal to them, but it must have been uh, very, very um, exciting and special. I mean, to see a tank up close and to see uh, the guy with the earphones on when um, you may not even have had a wireless at home, yeah, I, um, I I've seen photos of uh, of kind of tanks and military vehicles coming out of that gate um, of uh, Tandrigate Castle, Castle at the top. Yeah, Tito Castle, mm, yeah. marvelous, um, marvelous. I, I used oh. to work. I used to work in there. Um, I used to work for Tito uh, back in my student so, days. And so did I, I, Scott. So did I. Did you eat the crisps? Did you eat the crisps? We uh, certainly had our fill of them. Yeah, I think it's a rite, a rite of passage for anyone who's yeah. grown up in that area. But yes. even even now, you know, I, I, I'm a lot older now than I was was back then. But I still can't get my head around what it must have been like to watch, yes. you know, to watch to watch a a Stuart tank just drive out that yes. gate and and start coming down yes. the main street. Yes. And and to share your home, you know, to share your home with uh, complete strangers or to have a rap on the door at night and go to the door and there's a family from Belfast and they're they're looking for some shelter for the night. And that shelter, um, you know, you bring them in and then uh, they get a wee house in the area and they never go back to Belfast because they, they love the country. Um, and at night time to hear, you know, to hear um the last post every night coming from gosford and reveille in the morning i mean wow and to have american troops come into your house every night for a chat with your dad wow <laughs> yeah and and not just americans there are, are several several of the stories in in your book and possibly the next book as well um have soldiers from all across the world you know you've you've mentioned the belgians there so it's a it's yeah. a huge kind of mishmash of people from across the yes. globe that descended upon northern ireland you know and as well as soldiers we had evacuees from gibraltar we had uh jewish kids around malile um and mm -hmm. it just must have been an absolutely amazing experience for particularly those younger kids who maybe didn't realize quite how strange all of this was, you know, it was it was just part of their their growing up. Yes, yes, and and for them, we're going to the next big town wasn't was an event, and yet on their doorstep were all these different nationalities. Yes, I have um, in the second book. I have a lovely um, wee story. I've made contact with the daughter of a lady who 
fell in love with one of those American soldiers and went as in a, in the very early wave as a GI bride to America. So I have her her story. That that's fascinating. I'm I'm looking forward mm-hmm. to re- reading that. Um, that that's um, you know going to be gonna be one of many stories in uh, in the new book. Um, it is available now, and how how would you? I mean, you've already wet the appetite of our listeners here. I feel, but um, if there's if there's one little snippet of a story that you think is a, is a really good hook, uh, what what would be in there that would really grab people's attention? Well, I have a lovely story of a wee boy in brought up in the south of County Armagh, very rural. And the Americans uh, come to the door and they, they're in a jeep and they ask his mum if they can borrow this little boy to uh, show them where uh, the next place they have to go. And uh, the little boy gets into the American jeep and, you know, gets driven round his local area in the back of an American jeep. Now, how cool is that for a young lad? Um, you know, getting driven round South Armagh in, an Amer- in the back of an American Jeep. It must be like just stepping into the movies. But that's an incredibly cool story. And actually, it makes me think last year I was out at an event um, at Derrymore House in uh, Bestbrook, so in, yes. in, in South Armagh. And they had a mm-hmm. range of uh, American Jeeps there. And they took a few, a few kids around for a, a spin around the estate. And yes. so they, these kids were sitting in the back of of these jeeps and it's just you know kids of like five six seven eight years old and they're still incredibly excited about doing that now 80 years later yes 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 with Uh all of the things you know the 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 technology we have and you know ipads and whatever kids are still enthralled by being in the back of an american jeep so i can't even begin to contemplate the excitement that must have had you know 80 years ago Yes, I have another um, another story now. Um, this one is a young lad, a young boy walking to school um, in the on the outskirts of Armagh, we country school, and uh, they had to pass under what would have been the Armagh Portadown railway line, and there was a bridge, and um, during the night the soldiers, uh, these are British soldiers, had been in Armagh and they'd been walking back to their barracks. Uh, using the railway line to guide them. But what happened was the last train came along from uh, Portadown and um, two soldiers were uh, hit by the train. And as the wee boy was walking to school the next morning, these, unfortunately, these two dead soldiers uh, are lying on the road. And he remembers seeing um, the boot of one of them, um, you know, separated from separated from the the body and uh, even today all these years later you know um going under that bridge brings back those memories of walking to school and the whole thing was just unraveling at the time the dead soldiers had just been found and uh you know that's a very vivid memory obviously uh for for that wee lad goodness yeah it's a, mm-hmm. a, a, a sobering reminder that yeah you know, as as much fun as many of these stories may be and, and we talk yes. about riding in jeeps and getting getting chocolate and candy from american yeah. gis you know we we were at war and yeah. 
mm-hmm. tragic accidents like that happened, but then also mm-hmm. you had the the kind of constant reminder through through newspapers and through the radio, you know, that that we were at war. And then of course in 1941, the Luftwaffe attack Northern Ireland, and yeah. we've a whole raft of different experiences then for young people. And I think I think you've some stories about um, about evacuees coming down from coming down from Belfast to seek refuge out in more rural parts of County Armagh. Yes, and I have got a I've got a super story um, from Roger who who lived in Belfast and um, you know was in the middle of was in the middle of this of the splits. Uh, do you want me to read a wee bit out of it, Scott? Just a wee extract. Yeah, that would be wonderful. Okay. The first one was at Easter 1941, and I was away in the Glens with the School Natural History Society. But as the bus on which we were returning home came down the Antrim Road, we passed rows of smashed houses with soldiers clearing the partly blocked road. The worst damage was in the Antrim Road area, as the German pilots were said to have mistaken the waterworks reservoirs for the harbour. The second attack came a few days later when I was at home, and this time the city centre and the industrial area were hit hard. Area precautions were primitive at that stage, so my father, a volunteer warden, was outside equipped with an ARP armband, a tin hat and little else. Along with my mother and brother, I was under the solid oak dining table. The air raid shelter in the cellar came later and ended up as a turf store. The thing I remember most vividly was the noise. There was a battery of heavy anti-aircraft guns at the King's Hall, and every time they were fired, the house shook. When we came out, we found that the only damage was that the heavy plaster ceiling in the drawing room had swung down from one end, taking the light fitting with it. It was only held up with heavy ceiling paper. Going into town a few days later, the extent of the damage was all too clear, for the many buildings were down or still smouldering. So, you know, for for, for that there, uh, that's a first-hand account of two of those raids. And amazing how that, that the level of detail and the the feeling behind it all is still there, yes. still very much present. it's still there. It's still there, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, many... Many of the evacuees, you know, came and and they never went back to the city again. You know, they liked the country life and, um, you know, realised that it was a much, uh, much healthier uh, environment and uh, never went back. I think that there, there may be equal parts there. there I've, I've certainly come across many stories of, of those who, who didn't go back and, and kind of enjoyed the, the rural landscapes and that, but there were, um, even by the time of the Blitz, because uh, ev- evacuation started in 1940, and by the time the, the Luftwaffe attacked in '41, a lot of the first evacuees had returned um, yes. to the city, so a lot, mm-hmm. of those, a lot of those inner city kids were... Um, well, just being brutally honest, they were ridiculously bored in the uh, in the country, and they missed yes. uh, kicking football in yeah. the streets with their friends and whatnot. So yes, uh huh, uh huh. Scott, I have, I have, I have forgot to tell you, I have a. I'll start that again. I have in the second book been allowed access to a young RAF sergeant's writing, 
and uh, he wrote this for um, a, a particular RAF history project. And so this is a story of uh, Bob McHugh, who grew up in Hamilton's Bond. Now, it starts off his childhood in the 30s, and then it goes into um, him um, joining the RAF, and it goes through his, uh, his wartime experiences. So I have been allowed to use his writings um, and they're written in the first person uh, for this for the second book. And I honestly think they would make a film. You know, on his 21st birthday, uh, his, his best friend was killed just beside him. There's no counselling. There's no uh, time to grieve or that. So you pick yourself up and away on to the next, you know, to your next posting. Um, he lost four stone in weight. When he was uh, in, in um, you know, actually moved over into the continent then for operations, uh, eating camel sticks, um, lifting a, you know, lifting lifting a live mine. Um, I couldn't tell you all the stories, but they're they're his own writings. So, um, you know, they're they're straight from the horse's mouth. They're eyewitness eyewitness account of what it was like um, to, you know, to join the RAF during those wonderful years. Wonderful, um, when I say wonderful years, uh, you know, special years. And were these written at the time? Were these written in the 1940s or written after the they, war? No, they were written after the war. They were written after the war. Um, <clears throat> the first part of his childhood uh, were written for his niece, particularly for his niece. And the, the part about his service in the RAF was written particularly for... Um, an RAF history project. Well, I personally, um, I'm really looking forward to reading those in the next book. Um, both these books are a wonderful collection of stories and, and a great addition to the, the ever-growing canon of, of literature on Northern Ireland during the Second World War. And um, mm. if I know most people listen to these podcasts, but if, if you're watching uh, the ones that we upload to YouTube, you will see the bookshelves straining behind me there. Mm -hmm. So there's, mm -hmm. there's plenty to read on these subjects. If people want to keep up with you and your, your latest work, how can they do so? And more importantly, where can they pick up a copy of the latest book? Well, I'd say that they, without me going on too much, uh, my Facebook page gives details of all the shops which are kindly selling uh, the book and all profits from the book are going into research for Parkinson's disease. That's absolutely fantastic. It's a, it's a great cause and I was very happy to pick up uh, the last book. Um, I got mine from uh, Winnie's in Portadown, but there are plenty of other shops across uh, County Armagh, some in County Down, uh, one in Belfast. Um, we'll post up links uh, to your Facebook page in the show notes here and, and let people know where they can get those. Um, Lorna, thank you very much um, for joining us on A Wee Bit of War um, and for talking us through just some of the stories in your two books. Um, we hope to hear even more stories about wartime County Armagh, um, the rest of Northern Ireland and even further afield as you've covered now soon. Um, with the second book out, are there, is, are there plans for a third or what is next for Lorna Quinn? 
Well, I think I think I'll have a wee uh, break now from the writing, and I have to concentrate on selling the books. Uh, so I'll be concentrating my efforts uh, on, on that aspect of because when you write a book, you've got to sell it. So that's what I'll be doing in the next wee while, Scott. Well, I think you've you've given it some good promotion on here, and uh, hopefully. A few of our listeners that are based uh, in and around Northern Ireland will will pick those up and uh, help with that mission. Uh, thank you very much for joining me, and um, yeah, I look forward to reading the book and catching up with you again soon. Thanks very much, Scott. I appreciate you giving me some more time. Subscribe to A Wee Bit of War on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your favourite shows. That way, you'll never miss an episode. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your co-workers. Break all the rules of the Official Secrets Act and why not even leave a review to help others find the podcast. Thank you for joining myself and Lorna Quinn and I look forward to your company again next time for another wee bit of war.